0: Like what you hear, but not yet a member of AEI Premium? Go to AEI.ag premium to sign up for a free trial today. Welcome. It's June the 24th. Just wanted to touch base with you about some of the macroeconomic observations we've made. We have a lot of charts this week, so we'll talk through it a little bit for those of you who are joining us on the podcast version of this. There's also the video version available for AEI premium subscribers, so I encourage you to take a look at that as well. But, Brent, kind of a different economic outlook starting to come into shape, and the Fed had their meeting this month, and they they do a really good job of sharing what their expectations are. So we're going to walk through a little bit of that. The first one I want to share here, Brent, feel free to jump in at any point is the Fed sees a bit of a hotter economy or a little bit of a warmer economy. They pulled their projections for real GDP up from the, I guess the average or the median uh, for all of those bank presidents went from 6.5% in March up to 7%. So expecting a little more economic growth. Again, 7% is relative to a year ago. So that was a bit of a, a relative measurement situation. And then the other one that is inflation projection, they moved from 2.4% for 2021 to 3.4%. So I guess this is a positive development, right? They're moving the economic projections up. So the economy seems to be improving a little bit better than what they thought just a quarter ago.
1: This is a really hot topic right now. So lots of debate about just how high uh, inflation might get the Fed clearly still seeing that as a transitory type of inflation. So, you know, even though you're seeing a number over three, and I, I think that's maybe even, that's a 20, all 2021 number. So if you look just at, you know, the recent time period, it's even higher. But they're, they're viewing that as, you know, confined to certain product categories, causing a lot of that. And if, if you think about it in a supply and demand framework, you've got, you know, your demand curve and your supply curve. And and a couple things happen recently. One, we're kind of coming out of the pandemic. So that demand curve has shifted up and to the right, that has an impact in a lot of goods and services of increasing prices. So that helps to, you know, all this pent up demand is trying to increase prices. Then on the other hand, What you've got is a supply shock from the pandemic trying to catch up to this and factory shutdown and shortages. So supply curve kind of moved back and to the left. That also has the impact of increasing prices. So you're kind of getting a double whammy. The price level has really gone up quite a bit, you know, from where, where we started uh, as a result of this. So now, the Fed is basically saying, hey, when we look at this, we think that supply shock is transitory and it's going to get worked through, as well as the demand is going to kind of settle back down. The interesting thing in all of it is that supply and demand framework works really well for almost everything. Inflation is a little bit funny, though, because it kind of comes down to expectations. And I think that's where people are starting to get a little nervous about what the Fed is doing, because the Fed's clearly saying, hey, in the long run, we see inflation at 2%. And they can make that happen. But even in 2022, they're saying, hey, 2.1%, 2.2% in 2023, inflation pretty tame. So they're saying, hey, we're going to get, we're going to keep it under control. We think it's, it's going to go away. The problem can become if consumers, average people, all of a sudden decide, you know what? Our expectation is that prices are going up. We're seeing prices go up. And as a result, we better buy stuff today because one, the value of our savings is going down, it's getting eroded. And two, if we don't buy it today, it's going to be higher tomorrow, and that's where those expectations in the in the economy kind of get built in, and that's the risky thing the Fed you know has got to kind of manage along with at the same time not just lots of monetary stimulus, uh, lots of fiscal stimulus. I mean the government continues to spend money. We've got another big round of infrastructure bill under debate right now, another trillion dollars. So you start to wonder. The Fed seems really confident and they I you know, they're super smart economists, they're and they're pulling the levers. So I think it makes sense to to trust them and not worry too much. But you do kind of see some things happening, you go, Oh boy, I don't know. I hope they're right.
0: And Brent, one of the things we've talked about in the past is how one of the struggles coming out of the Great Recession a decade ago was the Fed was trying to stimulate the economy whenever Congress, on the other hand, was talking about sequestration. So one was hitting the gas and the government was actually tightening the belt a little bit. And and that was creating sort of this mismatch of signals. And then we got around 2016, we passed those tax cuts and the Fed was raising interest rates. So we saw this, you know, we're going to fire the Fed chairman because we need to get this going. So there's kind of been this mismatch, I think, over the last decade. But over the last year, we've seen sort of everybody put all of their weight on the gas pedal. And so I guess one of the questions is, is who's going to let off first? And there's a couple steps here, right? There's letting your foot off the gas, and then there's letting inertia kind of slow it down and then there's hitting the brake. And so no one's hitting the brake. Everyone's still on the gas and we'll see what happens as we go down the road when things do start maybe to pick up a little bit. But yeah, the inflation spending bill would be another form of stimulus that would create a lot of jobs and, and a lot of demand for goods and services.
1: It's just really interesting that thing you pointed out. I mean, we had that terrible mismatch of policy in the financial crisis, sequestration actually from Congress as opposed to stimulation, which is what they yeah. want. And then we overcorrected for it this time, probably with even more, sti- you know, even pretty uh, liberal economists saying, hey, this may be too much. So we shall see.
0: And I just want to admit, uh, for those of you who are watching this, I try to keep him from drawing supply and demand curves. This is the first one he's done on one of these. Uh, John Madden style. I was actually impressed. He, he Brent did it just, just like a an old AggieCon professor. So for those of yeah. you on the podcast, you missed Brent's great chart here. Um, another, another great, again, I'll say this again. There are not a lot of places you can see policymakers share a little bit about their thought process and their expectations. And the Fed does a really good job of telegraphing this a little bit. You know, the Fed sometimes gets a bad rap for transparency, but they do a lot of communication here. So here's another way of looking at their expectations of inflation. This is a graph. And as you can see, 2% is that long run expectation. And we kind of got there in 2018. And there's just another way of looking at this idea of we might see a a blip higher in 2021, but we want to move Towards 2%, which is considerably higher than what we saw for, for most of the last decade. Again, another chart to looking at inflation. This is the one I think caught a lot of headlines. It resolved that Ag Forecast Network question that we had posted about, will we get over 3% for any given month in 2021? And we had about 3.5% in April, which we only went above 3% one other time for a month in the last decade. But if you zoom out the chart... How scary this chart looks like depends on observations you plot. If you plot the last year, it can look scary. It's like a straight up into the right. It's like a hockey stick almost. But over the last decade, well, we've been there over the last decade, over the last 20 or 30 years, we've we've been higher. And so it's really important to keep that context in mind when we have these conversations.
1: And it's also important to remember our comparison period. This is against a year ago. Going to make it look, change look really big because prices were pretty soft a year ago. So we're starting to see that comparison effect go in. But I find it really interesting just how much discussion there is of inflation and how worried people are. Because honestly, we haven't experienced since the 80s, the early 80s and for that matter. 70s and early 80s which i gotta think i don't know there's big portions of the consuming a public that were not around then or weren't active consumers at that point so i just find it interesting how much passion that discussion engenders and in part because it can be very debilitating if it gets out of control
0: Another way of looking at some of those tables from before is the real GDP. Again, we've already talked through this. I'll I'll move quickly over this, but this idea of we could see a lot of economic growth here in 2021. Again, a lot of this is because of the relative measure versus last year, a year ago. Fed's sinking six to seven percent, which sounds like a really big number for the U.S. economy, and it is, but. The long-run expectation here is we're going to sort of drift lower in 2022, and then towards the long run get back in that that two percent range, which is more common for our economy. This is a chart that this is interesting. The headline was the Fed is going to raise interest rates a lot sooner than you thought. I saw that headline and I even fell for it. I clicked. I'm like, man, they must be raising them like next week. And when you start to dig into it, the big takeaway was the Fed started to signal like, well, we might need to raise interest rates on that the target rate in 2022. And this chart, not a lot of articles included, you got to go to the Federal Reserve website and you got to download the PDF of their minutes. And I, apparently this isn't contagious enough to make it, its round in, on social media. But you can see here, all the Fed voting members think that in 2021, there's no need to move the target rate. About half of them think maybe in 2022, we're going to move it up. Two thirds of them think in 2023, we'll move it off of where it's at today. But I think here's the long run story. You can debate when the Fed might raise interest rates. And we have a question about that in the forecast network. It's important, but look at what the long run expectations are. And they think in the long run, this target rate, which is very near zero today, would be closer to two to 3% in the long run. So I think that's a really important takeaway here is this low interest rate environment isn't projected to last for forever. That In the long run, we expect it to return higher.
1: I think that is an important point to think about is that ultimately that's where we want to be headed now that we can debate the speed at which we're going to get there. And certainly if you look at this chart, you know, nobody and putting their guesses in saying we'll be there by 2023. So got a little bit of a runway, but got to realize those rates will a lot of people are starting to think they're going to creep up in the next couple of years.
0: Last slide we have here to talk about, it's an article I wrote up this week, so you can go read more about it. It's the average interest rate that farmers are paying. And the chart that I show here is for non-real estate loans. It goes back to the 70s. and Well, the big takeaway here is, we hit lows here in 2020. The record low for the interest rate that farmers are paying. It had a three in front of it, and, and so three point, I think seven, three point six percent. And the previous low was three point seven percent for the on an annualized basis. On a quarterly basis, the average got I think the three point one percent at the end of 2020. And so it's about three point three percent in the first quarter. One of the ideas here to take away is we actually saw interest rates at the farm level at about 5.5% back in 2019. This is when we were talking about, Trump was talking about firing Jay Powell and was asking people, could he fire him? Because the Fed was starting to raise rates because, of, again, this idea of the mismatch. So it wasn't that long ago. But again, the takeaway here is we're at career low rates. We want to make sure we're observing that. But we also want to make sure that there isn't an expectation out there that this will last for forever. And, and we'll have to wait and see how this plays out.
1: The interesting thing, I think, for ag is that, you know, this is the first time for a while we've had everything going in the same direction, lower interest rates and higher incomes. And I think you're going to see that in the farmland market, in the equipment market and all these markets here and probably already seeing it. But it's going to last, I think, for a while as well. So there's a lot of juice being pushed in the farm economy right now. Keep that in mind. It's always important to kind of take the temperature of the room. I mean, things I think are pretty good on all fronts. And those things don't always last forever. So uh, we want to use some prudence, particularly particular on the real estate side, because when you have rates this low, prices can get really high based on higher earnings. The multiple is a lot bigger when rates are low. So you get another $40 of income from land, and you multiply that by a multiple of 30 instead of 20, 20 be a 5% interest rate. It really adds up. Next week is a big week for
0: USDA reports. The 30th has the acreage report, but also the quarterly stocks report. So I want to remind folks about that. We have a couple of Forecast Network questions about acreage. So go update your expectations about that. We're starting to see the market expectations start to drop. Um, We've seen some of those reports. And so use some ground truthing to think about where your expectations are and where all these trade consensus or trade expectations are coming in at. So this seems to have a little more there's a lot of attention on it this year. I don't know what that's about, but it seems like this is always a popular report, but maybe a little more popular than normal, but also kind of overlooking the quarterly stocks report, which is could also be just as significant. as the acreage report.
1: Well, that's a very good point there that, you know, don't sleep on that because the acreage report could be a snoozer, you know, you never know. But, the, you know, the acreage thing I think is so interesting because there's such a wide diversity of opinion about it. Some really high estimates, some way more conservative estimates on how many acres of corn and soybeans got planted. So you got a wide range of opinions. And because stocks are pretty tight, particularly for things like soybeans, a lot of potential if it doesn't turn out the way everybody wants it to. It's going to be a wild uh, few days.
0: One of the questions in the forecast network is the probability of corn and soybean acres being over a combined 181 million acres. And so as I'm looking at these these trade estimates, we're seeing things stay in line with where the USDA was, 178, 179 million. We also saw some that are 183 million. That is a huge swing as to you know how big the U.S. corn and soybean factory might come in at. So look for that report. Keep in mind those two reports actually going to get dropped at the same time.
1: Highly, highly anticipated right now. I don't remember one being... Anticipated this much in recent times. Think carefully about it, I guess.
0: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for joining us this week. We'll be back again next week. We'll talk about the scores of the forecasts from the report. And we have some great articles in the pipeline. So, in the meantime, stay curious. We'll see you all next week.
1: Bye bye.